Broadcasting live from Tybee Island, Georgia. A weekly update from the city manager, John Gillen. Hey, welcome to Tybee Time with the city. I'm city manager, Sean Gillen, uh, with the city of Tybee Island. Uh, today, uh, in today's podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about beach renourishment. We're going to talk a lot about beach renourishment. We're going to talk a lot about dune systems. Um, my guest today is Alan Robertson. Um, Alan has been on board with the city as a, as a consultant and project manager for some of the largest renourishments and, and, and dune projects that the island has seen in a long time. And um, recently, the uh, American Shore and Beach Preservation Association awarded the city of Tybee the best restored beach in America. Um, that's uh, prestigious in that um, small niche of experts who pay attention to beach renourishments around the country. It means a lot to us because we know there was, there was a ton of work that went into this. So, Alan, welcome to the show. Thank and you, um, good to have you here. So talk to us a little bit about the ASBPA and the award we received and um, how we got to that point Uh in, in some of the background behind it. There's a lot to this. There is. Uh, and as you said, this award is national recognition for the work that Tybee has done in its beach and dunes. The American Shore and Beach Preservation Association is a national group. It is the national group for um, national policy, uh, lobbying uh, federal government, lobbying state governments in support of coastal resilience, um, the core's activity across the country in restoring beaches like Tybee's. Uh, and e each year, they award a best restored beach. They also res uh, award a best restored coastline, which we can talk about later. Uh, Tybee was fortunate enough that in 2020 uh, to be recognized as one of five best restored beaches. The, the nomination spoke to the incorporation of dune building as part of the regular core's beach nourishment. Uh, it spoke to um, eventually the end of that, potential end of that core agreement, which we can talk about in 2024, which is happening across the country. Um, and it spoke to the fact that Tybee is a um, barrier island off the coast of Georgia. And, and is reflective of many of the coastal communities in the United States, the challenges they face given sea level rise. Okay, so so let's kind of start from the beginning. So Tybee is a barrier island off the coast of, coast of Georgia. It's there, it protects the mainland, is, is basically a giant um, seawall uh, sea or, or, or wave break that happens out on the coast, but we live here and we have, we have businesses and that's where you go to go to the beach. So the, the, the fact you mentioned that the dunes were incorporated as part of this project, that's a big deal uh, from, from my um, involvement in this process is that was a huge undertaking because the Corps had never done that. The Corps didn't want to get into owning parts of shoreland. They wanted to own, they wanted to deal with beaches, um, which is understandable. Uh, because those dunes will eventually erode if there's ever a storm that hits them. So we started early on, I remember we brought you on board as a project manager for the 19th Street Dune Project. Because um, you were with the Beach Task Force yeah, on their Dune Committee. Yep. 
and I asked you. You and I were talking about this Dune project, and um, and you kind of gave this one pro bono was uh, to manage that project at 19th Street because we needed to get some sort of Dune structure built where we had at grade vehicular access to the beach. So basically. During Matthew and Irma, these were it just turned into rivers. As the storm surge hit, the water just flowed into the city at these points. So that's where you became well. So what, why don't you talk to us about that and what was unique about that dune structure? It actually started with a, an assessment by the Beach Task Force uh, that I led, uh, identifying the weak spots. And this came out of uh, increased concern on part of city council after the Superstorm Sandy up in New Jersey. Tybee had not seen any hurricane damage for 30 years. Um, many people believe that we were the protected coast as you look at the formation of the coastline. Uh, we'd had some near misses but no direct hits. Sandy got our attention. A uh, lot of talk but not a lot of action. In 2000, and, uh, at, toward the end of 2016, uh, with the Beach Task Force, we began an assessment of the weak spots, but then of course Matthew hit us in the fall. We actually published that assessment in April of 2017, and one of the things we identified were the at-grade ac vehicle access points. And for those of us who can remember just a few years ago, 19th Street was at-grade, Center Street, uh, 3rd Street, 2nd Street. Uh, we had a lot of um, places where traditionally people could just walk on the beach, cars could drive on, Public Works and Marine Rescue. Uh, 18th Street as well, if I remember correctly. 18th Street as well. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And um, Matthew, as you said, Matthew came down all of those at grades. Um, so did Irma. Mm -hmm. uh, so we started with 19th Street. We got a permit, um, actually, from the uh, Department of Natural Resources, Shore Protection Act permit to build dunes from the pier to 19th Street. We started with 19th Street. We built a stabilized dune, uh, so polypropylene bags filled with beach quality sand underneath a layer, two foot layer of sand. Uh, that was the first time that that had been done on the Georgia coast, so we had to work with the DNR to get permission to do that. Uh, we worked with Guardian Retention Systems. Uh, the Beach Task Force had looked at a lot of different technologies and a lot of different providers for that. And it was very successful. Um, we got the permit in March, and by April they were done. That was the first, the first one. And that was about how about 150 feet. It's about 150. It's 165 feet wide. Um, so in the grand scope, this was a small bite. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, we we wanted to eat this elephant one bite at a time, and that was a small bite. It was kind of a proof of concept. Yes. Right? It yes, it was. Yes, okay. and in fact, the DNR still considers that experimental because it has not been fully tested. Mm -hmm. um, so I think when we take a, just a quick step back and say, why is that such a big deal with the DNR? Because in my understanding, in my limited, and some people get confused, well, the DNR has these rules, why can't you do this or this? And it has to do with structures in a dune system, correct? And yeah. setting that precedent of allowing a a manufactured structure to sit in the dune system on Tybee. And it, although intentions are good on our part and they understand that, it could 
lead to other things in dune systems and other areas. Correct. Right? Typically, okay. the, the DNR does not want to see any sort of structure on the beach that would impede or hinder the natural sand-sharing system of the dunes. Yeah. The erosion of the beach, accretion of the beach, the dunes, they all move, they all shift. Uh, they don't want anything on there that could disrupt that. And that's basically anything man-made, any kind right. of structure. And so these hardened structures you see, like seawalls, like jetties and things that are really an older technique of re of preventing erosion and what the, if i remember correctly from the uh, first my first few years we were talking a lot about that was there there is some science that says that with those hardened structures the erosion actually happens faster yes because those structures it does and so most of those energy structures. exchange between the wall and the wave, and I, they had some terminology for it. Uh, and most of those structures now are placed in the water. So the groin, the north and south groin, are in the water. Any jetties would be in the water. The seawall, back in the 30s when it was built, was in the water. Yeah. Uh, and so they serve different purposes. But once you have a, a beach, as we do, okay. with dune system, you've got to be aware of the sand. Okay, sorry, I just wanted to sideline for just a yeah, second no, to kind of talk about it, because people are wondering, why, why is that such a big deal? And we consider, the DNR, and we consider the stabilized dunes we've built uh, since the 19th Street, we've built two, two others, uh, as a hybrid. Because while there's some artificial substance around the polypropylene bags, it's fundamentally beach quality sand. Mm -hmm. If a storm were to breach that dune and somehow uncover the sand and somehow roll the bags and somehow they come open, you've just got a lot of beach quality sand on the beach and you have to clean it up. Cool. Now, in the stabilized dune, you could really drive a tank over that thing. And you That's can. That's the idea. And you we, can. And we have. So and we've driven, 19th, well, not a, technically a tank, but, but 19th, a lot of big trucks. Right. 19th Street is the access point for all movie equipment on Tybee. Correct. Uh, and so we had to get the DPW trucks. Um, the Corps, when they came to uh, nourish the beach, drove their trucks over that 19th Street dune without missing a beat. Great. Um, so, then, and the, so that was the proof of concept. And then, um, and then along came some money. So the state was gracious enough through basically a legislative appropriation uh, to, they granted $10 million for coastal cities for basically beach sand yes. of some nature. They weren't that specific about it. Right. But something was for coastal resilience. Correct. Uh, the city of Tybee got $5 million of that, $10 million, and then I think Glen County got 5 And it was split. And, yeah. and Jekyll. And Jekyll. Right. Yeah, so, two and a half, two and a half. And so they're, they're dealing with that down in, in, in Glen County. I'm, not, I'm having tracked on what they're doing. We're almost done with our $5 million. Because um, that went into the beach renourishment. So then that brought along phase, what we refer to as phase one of the dune project. So Correct. talk to me about that. Yeah, we, uh, we were working closely with the Corps around their schedule for nourishing the beach. This is uh, 2018 into 19. And um, they were not scheduled to nourish the beach until the end of, they just did it. Mm -hmm. We didn't think we could wait another storm season. So 19th is built in April, right? We have, you'd have to wait a whole nother storm season before you'd see any beach nourishment. We decided that we needed to put the dunes up before the beach was nourished. Because memories were fresh Absolutely. from Irma. I mean, I was here 93 days when Irma hit. I, I wasn't here when Matthew hit, but I saw the damage and 
But when Irma hit, that whole area from the pier to 19th Street, there were no dunes at all to speak of. Right. And I remember during Irma that, you know, right in front of um, uh, uh, Spanky's and the traffic circle, and right just south of Tiberius Street, that was just a straight shot from the beach to the businesses, and there was literally two or three feet of water around the traffic circle. And we, I remember being out there watching the waves come in. We, we sheltered in place when Irma hit uh, the critical workforce and myself. So we were watching this wave action coming just straight across into the, the strand and onto Tiberisa. And so that's the why. Of yes. that. We're yeah. like, if we get hit again, we don't want that same thing to be going on. Uh, in, um, and as the commercial district, we deemed it the most important area that needed to be protected. And that was basically from the pier down to um, 19th Street. So someone asked that question, so why didn't we just wait to the renourishment and do this all at once? Is it because... We didn't want to wait another storm system. We watched what happened during Irma, and we didn't want that to happen again. Now, the, the negative of doing it before the beach was nourished um, was there wasn't a lot of sand on the beach. So when we built the dunes, and we mm -hmm. built these dunes to um, a height approximately what the height of the existing dunes, to the extent they were there, what their height was. And generally speaking, on the beach, uh, it's an eight-foot dune, which the DNR will tell you should, support, should protect you from a 1-in-25-year um, um, storm, 4% storm. It's a 4% so, storm. Right. So, so an Irma-type uh, storm. Correct. Okay. Now, category, you know, and I think that's one of the caveats for a direct hit from a Category 3 or Category 2, even a, you know, even a Category 2, 3, or bigger, dunes aren't really going to do much. I mean, that's we have, there hasn't been a direct hit of a storm that size since the 1890s. Right. And the entire city would be underwater. So that's the sort of thing. We usually get the side swipe because of our location. This is to prevent the storm surge from that storm, like Matthew and Irma. Correct. To prevent the uh, businesses from just being completely wiped out. I mean, it, it might help keep businesses from being completely destroyed from a bigger storm and prevent the, that flooding from a storm surge from that side of the island. And dunes are sacrificial. Okay? So when we get this next big storm and these dunes we just built are scarped and perhaps mm -hmm. even lost to some extent, that's what happens. Hopefully they absorb that energy of the surge mm -hmm. okay? and in their erosion you are protected from flooding and, and property damage. We saw that during Michael and Dorian. Yes. Um, in Florence. That's right. Um, we saw those those waves actually because the beach was so eroded, it was hitting those new dunes and yes. eroding them. And we had to actually go back start. and repair. We did. Okay, have, we so did we saw start. that happen. Yeah. Okay. Um, so when we did the phase one dunes uh, from the pier to 18th Street, um, that was the largest, you know, away from the core's beach nourishment, this is the largest project that we did uh, in doing this host a scene. So uh, a lot of eyes were on it, that we do it well. Uh, and because we did it before the core nourished, we could not use dredge sand, which is relatively inexpensive. We had to use an upland source uh, from basically the, the sand pits in Effingham County. And we had to truck those, we had to truck those in. You'll, you'll remember that. Sure. Uh, that, was, that was a lot of trucks of sand coming in. 1,400 trucks, if I remember correctly. Right. If my notes are correct. 50 days, yes. six days a week, 50 or 50 trucks a day, trucks a day right. six days a week for six, six weeks. weeks. 
we saw trucks flowing in, and a lot of people remember that. But that that was an amazing process. Okay, and so that's when I went to. Of course, I came to you and I said, "Hey, I've got this money. I need I need some assistance because this is going to become a full time job just managing this project." You know, and there's other departments I got to keep an eye on. So, can you come in as on a contract, and we'll pay you to manage this project? And I think you had a management background, and so I brought you on as a project manager, and for the phase one Dune project. That's how you got involved. Right. Well, you know, officially, when when, uh, when the um, you know Jason Bulterman was mayor at the time was working with the state on this legislative allocation, when the Department of Community Affairs was thinking about how much money they were going to allocate, we were the community that had a plan, which I authored as part of the Beach Task Force, identifying the weak spots and suggesting how you go about it. And we had already done the permitting for uh, 19th Street Dune, and we had proof of concept. So we were in a position, as they say, shovel-ready, when you get the money. And that's partly why we got the lion's share of that allocation but you're right we got the money then to be able to fund the construction and then um we knew the renourishment was coming the following year Mm -hmm. and that was because this wasn't part of that 50-year agreement that's no 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 or because this was separate this was a separate uh, authorization and appropriation by the federal government to the corps of engineers for what's called and i love my friends at the federal level because they love their acronyms this was called the HIMSA. Right. And you have to remember all those hurricanes we had that year. It was the Harvey Irma Maria Supplemental Disaster Relief Bill, and or otherwise referred to as the HIMSA. And um, that's just awesome acronym. Just, the, um, but $13 million was allocated to the Corps of Engineers to renourish the beach on Tybee Island. And that, we knew we almost get as much sand as we wanted. We saw two things happening here, was the end of that 50-year project, a great deal of uncertainty about extension. So is this going to be our last renourishment within this 50-year time frame? Um, And a regular renourishment. This one is a special allocation. We had $5 million of state money. So we came in, and there had, your role was coordinating between the Corps of Engineers, the DNR, and our our uh, our Dune project, Guardian Systems, managing all these different things. And I remember when we went through the planning of that, is the Phase Two Dune project, and I'll let you describe that in just a second. Was like, does the Corps build the dunes? Does the Corps not build the dunes? How do we get the sand to the area we want to build the dunes? And that all became part of an overall plan. And there was a lot of back and forth and a lot of sending it to the, the district office of the Corps of Engineers, who have been awesome to work with. Yes, um, all the folks there, Mackie McIntosh. There's a whole bunch of new people now because yeah. these people are so good, they've been moved up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'll let you mention the names of all the people you've worked with in the future, but if, I mean, I don't want their names mentioned in our company. <laughs> but, uh, now, they've been, been great. The folks at the DNR have been great. We had to get a permit for this project through the DNR, which right. we did. Right. And you handled that right. piece, which is a lot of work. We went to Brunswick together, yep. and we sat yep. down in their, their meeting to get the DNR permit. Uh, and then the Corps had to get it scheduled and yep. um, bid out. Then... 
uh, so talk to us a little bit. Start with the phase two dune project. What is that? What is that? And then how did it incorporate with the renourishment? So having built the dunes from the pier to 19th Street, we then had dunes in the center of the island. As you well know, dunes do not form naturally in the center of the island. It's the nodal point of the island. The, um, the longshore current uh, just keeps the sand flowing south. It's, it's so that, let's take a step back real quick. That's a hard kind of concept to visualize unless you've actually seen it. Yeah. So as, as recently as 95, 96, that water was up to the seawall oh. at that location. Yeah, I actually, I... I uh, as part of the presentation, um, I went back and um, animated Google Earth, history Google Earth pictures. You can go back back to the 70s, actually, sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what you see at the turn at the turn at Butler, okay, at the anchor, as we say. Right? You can just watch no beach at all, water right at the turn, and then a renourishment, sand out. And then you just watch it recede, and we get another renourishment. So at that area, that's been just constant over since. And so it's the the way the currents are uh, at that specific point. Just that's where the beach it's a hot erodes erosion the fast. Hot erosion point. So without the sand on the beach, the dunes don't form. So prior to the renourishments back in 1974, a little bit of history here. This is kind of a fun part. There were no dunes in front of Hotel Tiny. It was flat, straight yeah, out to the that's The great. evidence of that is a, one of my favorite movies. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm a Burt Reynolds. I love Burt, but I, you know, that movie was, was looking back on it. The movie was called Gator, yes. filmed here on Tybee Island. I actually remember that. And I've got some great screenshots from that because it's on available on Amazon Prime, I think, or something. I went back and watched and I was like, good golly. This was a, uh, a interesting movie, but uh, uh, there are certain scenes from that where you can see that curve at a, on eighty. That's right. You can see there was a the big fight scene between Jerry Reed and Burt Reynolds. Spoiler alert: they fight on the beach at the end. Burt Reynolds wins. Um, but uh, they're fighting on this scene and they're jumping their cars over a giant pipe on the beach. That is the very first beach renourishment in 1974 when they filmed that movie on Tybee. Now, prior to that, there were no dunes. But once they started pumping millions of, of cubic yards of sand on the beach, the wind blew that sand, and these dunes started to naturally form in front of the Hotel Tybee area where you see the big, giant dunes that naturally form. So as we renourish, the dunes can form. But just something about that one part of the island at the nodal point we rode so fast, the dunes can't naturally. Correct. Okay, so a long so, bit of Burt Reynolds yeah. history as to why dunes don't form. Um, I'm going to attempt on every podcast to work Burt Reynolds into the <laughs> conversation. But, um, and we also had, uh, as we said, Center Street, uh, 3rd Street, and 2nd Street were all at-grade crossovers, three more at-grade crossovers there at that, at that nodal point. Mm -hmm. um, so... We had incorporated dune build into the beach nourishment, and the Corps had actually designed the dune build into the okay. beach nourishment. And that took 18 months, basically, of working with the Corps prior to the nourishment. Uh, that's just their process. This is how long it takes, back and forth, various design uh, milestones and the like. Um, they, we were two weeks 
um, to bidding this business out when um, DC, core headquarters, said, no, you can't include the dunes as part of your beach nourishment for fear of federalizing the dune system. Right. Completely understandable. A legal, yeah. That's a legal call. Yeah. Uh, uh, caught us all a bit off guard. But we had a plan. We had a plan. Uh, I can remember Josh Nickel at the time was yeah, our project Josh. manager at the core and came and, and told us <laughs> we were we were sitting there in City Hall and telling us that, you know, sorry guys, but we can't include the dunes. We took it rather well, I thought. Uh, I'm sure he was thinking he was gonna get his head handed to him, but our response was, can you at least put the sand on the beach for us? Put the put the sand on the beach so, that you were going to use for the dunes. So I've had it's called what is it called advanced placement advanced of material. Pla- advanced placement. Of so material. their idea was this is for an erosional occurrence. It's going to be it's beach sand right. it's just, and it's placed in a certain concentrated area. So right. then we can use it to build the dunes. And correct. So that required then us to spend the money to hire a contractor. To move that sand once they place it, but they did as part of the beach nourishment. They placed the sand. Unfortunately, there again, literally the day before they're going to start their nourishment, uh, Bert Moore, who is the head of uh, dredging, for great the tidy corp, guy, yeah. good tidy guy, uh, notifies me that they can't put the sand where we wanted it because sand when it when we dredge sand about a mile off the pier mm-hmm. at the uh, at the uh, borrow site they call it when that sand comes out of those pipes it's like 80 percent water and if anybody's seen it you you see it just this massive amount of water coming out of these pipes that water then settles if they had put that sand where we needed it for the dune the water would have gone inland and possibly flooded some of the very close stand so the guy who knows how to do it for more says you can't do what you want to do right so we're going to uh we're going to do it a different way. We're going to move it seaward. Not a big deal. No, they, they're no. like, oh, this is a big deal? No, no, no. No, no, no. I, no That's no. fine. Just get it close. We'll get Just it to where we need it. Get it close and we'll get it to where they Okay. Need. So they nourish the beach in their regularly fine fashion. They, they know how to nourish a beach. The city paid extra money to add mm-hmm. about 100 feet more of beach at the south end, which is the most popular end. Right. So from about 13th Street all the way down... Past 19th, right. the city paid for additional sand to be placed. And that's it one was, of the reasons that at low tide the pier was out of the water. Right, it's about because we knew we may not get another regular renourishment, so we needed to get, so we needed to slow the erosion as much as possible. And that's we, the logic behind it. Yes, and we had seen most er- erosion, the, um, the, um, Missing my, I'm missing my name here, but the, um, the they're not groins, but the um, that we had jetties, placed, the jetties that had originally been placed to build the beach down there, the T jetties, yeah, the concrete T jetties, the concrete okay. jetties, they had been exposed. That no right. one had seen them for thirty years. In right. fact, a lot of people didn't know they were under there. Right, they were totally exposed. So we'd had a great deal of erosion. In fact, before that beach nourishment, when we were going out and measuring uh, for the design. At high tide, there was less than ten feet, ten feet from from the dunes at the pier. Okay, that's right. there was no beach. Effectively, at high tide, no beach. So, we augmented the beach down the south end. Other than mm-hmm. that, it was a standard federal template, groin to groin. Correct. We did go around to Chatham. 
So if memory serves, there's about $1.9 million of that $5 million grant from the state that we utilized to buy that extra sand. Is that correct? Correct. correct. To, so pay our, to pay our share of right. the federal project. So we transferred that to the Corps of Engineers as part of the project. So that's why when we say it's a $15 million project, right. that's why, because it was the, the federal government money and the state money that we combined to make right. this happen. And so... And also, and, you know, there were areas in North Beach where they said the, the was an additional place. We I think because they said the template was full up in that area, Correct. we wanted a little more sand. Again, anticipating a, a longer period between the next renourishment and when that will go. Um, so that that's going to take me to to our, our our kind of our next and you know kind of wrap this up with where do we go from here if twenty twenty four. Is that time when the, when when the renourishment goes away, uh, as far as the federal project? Um, and like I said, we're not giving up on that. We're going to continue to right. try and get the extension of that. But you know, it just it seems that it's unlikely. Right. It would take an, a literal act of Congress. Yes. Um, I'm not real sure how they're getting along up there in D.C. nowadays. Uh, but something tells me that that's going to be a challenge. So that's the reality of what we're dealing with. Is the political reality of what goes on in D.C. and how this happened. It could happen. It might happen. We're going to pursue it, but we're also, we need a plan B. And so um, that gets us to where we go from here as far as renourishment. Um, the caveat being this, that if there is a storm and there is federal funding connected to the storm, like the HIMSUP for Irma, we are still eligible to get that funding. Correct. We can still, we still might get, if we get hit by a hurricane, you know, God forbid, in the next few years, we could have another full renourishment happen in five years, within five years by the Corps of Engineers, perfectly legal. And it has to do with that federal authorization process, which creates the federal law that says the Corps can spend money like this on Tybee. And then there has to be an appropriation of money. Yes. So then they can actually spend money on in that. So there's a two-step process in the federal budget. I'm sorry, I'm going to stop talking federal budgets. That's people are falling asleep now. The, uh, but that's when we say the authorization, 2024, that authorization runs out. Right. That's what we're talking about is federal authorization to spend money runs out, but we would, would be able to be eligible for the storm-specific money that may come down the line. So uh, that's, that's the good news. Um, and but, this, by the way, is an issue across the United States. This isn't Tybee. Tybee right. happens to have their agreement with the, with the core expiring relatively soon. Because we were one of the first. We were one of the first. Right. But up and down the coast, including the Great Lakes and the Mississippi, and yeah. wherever the core is, wherever they have been nourishing based on the economics of the nourishment, right. uh, everyone is trying to scramble to see what they do when those agreements expire. And so real quickly on the economics, my, my understanding is that the impact on tourism doesn't come into their calculus when they're calculating what the economic impacts they're looking for actual storm damage yes and the fact that we've done such a good job of renourishing the beach over the last 50 years and building dunes and doing these things actually decreases the potential loss which means that they can't justify future renourishments it is a catch-22 that is classic you know, federal government catch twenty two is it so exactly as you say. We worked very long and hard with the core to try to justify uh, on an economic basis as the core defines it, which you're right. Nothing about 
tax revenues from visitors, nothing about the recreation value, no, nothing about the economy. It's all about a potential property damage. We even threw in that if the beach eroded to the seawall, the seawall at this point is in total disrepair. It was built in the 1930s, 30s. as part of the, yeah. uh, the New Deal. We right? even estimated what the cost was to rebuild a seawall. And even with that cost, they couldn't justify nourishing the beach. They're, 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 they have a formula, have a formula that spits out a number, yep. and your number has to hit 30 or something like that. And we were getting about 20. Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's right. So if you think of it at, at that, at, in those terms, Good, bad, indifferent, it is the situation that we're, those are the cards we're dealt. Right. So, and, and to be fair, the core just now is reconsidering their formulations. Don't know how that would impact our agreement in three years, but they are getting this feedback from everyone, and so they are so considering it. It's not like everything's lost in 2024. There could be another opportunity could, yes, for us could. to redo a new authorization yes. with the Corps of Engineers. Yes. Okay, so... Um, we're about out of time, and I just wanted to touch base on, on some of the other things. So that's, that's kind of the brief history of renourishment and how we got this latest renourishment. So the renourishment nerds out there can really dig into this. Oh, I get it. Okay. But yeah, <laughs> there's, there's a couple of terms that we throw, we're going to be throwing around a lot when we talk about this stuff, and I just want you to touch briefly on each one of them. NIFWIF, the National Fish and Wildlife Fund. Talk to us about that and how, how we're working with that. Um, as we re-nourished the beach, built the dunes, um, vegetated the dunes, redo the crossovers, put up the sand fencing, it becomes very apparent that this is but one part of the island's entire stormwater management system. It's the beach side. The beach side is straightforward in that you can expect storm surge from a hurricane and, this, and the water comes at you. What Tybee evidenced in Matthew and Irma is rising water on the back side of the island. Right, not, that high... Not surge so much, just in a high tide with that storm coming. Four-foot surge hit at high tide in a tide wasn't going anywhere. And we had a lot of flooding on the back side of the river. So we applied for and, was, and, and won a National Fish and Wildlife Foundation grant to do an assessment of the back river. The money from the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation, combined with the money that we had from the Department of Community Affairs over and above what it cost to do the beach, we've combined and, have, and are working with the University of Georgia basically to come up with an array of options that the city council should consider, could consider, for abating, mitigating flooding on the back river. Okay. That's due in April of next year. All right. Then, then another term that people hear is going to be the phase two channel impact study. Mm. Well, if this is phase two, what was phase one? So in 2009, the Corps completed a three-year study Corps does three by threes. Three-year studies cost $3 million, where they studied what impact the widening and deepening of the Savannah River Channel was having on Tybee's Beach. That conclusion, just to cut through everything of a very long report, was that about 80%, 79% of the loss of sand of Tybee's Beach is directly due to the fact that there's that Savannah River Channel. Because ordinarily, we would get Hilton Head's sand. So which is the sand south. would migrate along the bottom of the ocean just, come just down, because of currents. And we would get that sand. But now they've got this big ditch in the middle of the bottom of the and, ocean, and, stops and the sand just stops dead right there. Right. Okay. I mean, that's, I, I want to make sure we have, we have a clear understanding of what is that and why is that. Yeah. 
It's a federally funded project causing erosion on Tybee. Right. That's why the Corps is involved with us to begin with. Correct. And the Corps dredges about 3 million cubic yards of sand out of that channel every year. In fact, one of their depositories is, is out, out offshore. One of, one of the places is near Tybee. So we're talking to them about, uh, in a phase two channel study, which again... Do might, we do it or not? That's the question. Do we do that phase two channel study, which is like, like a million bucks? To us. To it's us. A, it's a bigger study. But it's a bigger study. It's $3 million study. I mean, like, right. And three listen, this better be a pretty good study right. for $3 million bucks. And, uh, um, but And that study, because it, because it had not been acted upon last year, all, all, pro, all core projects that had not begun were taken off the table. It's still there. We know it's there. We know what it is. But we don't even, it's not even being considered at this point by anyone. We would have to revive that if we were right. to Right. So because we're, we're, we're weighing the cost-benefit of that. Yes. We kind of know what the solutions need to be. Yes. It, and so it's ongoing renourishment. But with that going away, we're looking at maybe partnering with the ports, partnering with the core to use the beach quality dredge material that they take out of the channel exactly to right. place on the beach. And that sounds easier said than done. And then... And of course, I can't do that without mentioning the infamous 1993 clay ball incident. So. Because if you didn't mention it, a whole host of residents would mention it. Correct. Those who might remember, there was dredge material placed on the beach back in 93. Correct. And um, because of the mixture inside, there, were, there was clay and it formed into balls just because all over the beach. Yes. Now, after a few tides, those balls dissipated and went away. And we have to make sure that if we do use dredge material, it's called, and this is something that the ASBPA is pushing for, something that they're, they're looking at is why are we not using the beneficial reuse of dredge material? So we have to make sure it's beach quality sand, it meets all the DNR guidelines, that it's the same you know, color, shell content, and all that sort and of thing. And the core tells us that that sand is available, we have to determine, we'd have to get it tested by the DNR, and we'd have to determine right. how much is available. So that's just one of the possibilities we're looking at. You know, I, I don't want to hate people walk away from this conversation yeah. and say, oh, they're going that direction. Yeah. Like, no, but we're exploring it. Yes. We sure as heck are. Yes. The, um, uh, the, the benefit of it is it's readily available. It'd be, it, it, it could possibly be less expensive than a, than a dredge ship. I mean, of that $15 million we spent on that last renourishment, Five million of it was just getting a boat there. That's right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the dredge boat was yes. expensive, and uh, the um, the beneficial use of dredge material could be it could be placed on the beach. Where do you place it? Because you, you can't it? just drive a boat, uh, the dredge machine up and dump it on the beach anywhere. How do you get it from this point of the beach to that point of the beach? Do you truck it? Do you pipe it? Those are options that other cities are doing. I yes. noticed in the ASBPA. Uh, conference there were talks about how a place up in in, in Connecticut did it That's this right. way and That's a place right. that did it that way. Uh, they're doing these same techniques to move it. So those there's a lot of questions that remain unanswered. So the shipwake study, which is different from the channel impact. The channel impact is just the channel being there. Yes, causes erosion. Now we've got these sh giant ships coming through, which create a tsunami on the north end. Create a erosion but also creative danger yes yes so, so we have seen increased frequency we have many of these on videos uh, uh, our lifeguards uh, record one of them is me the, the yeah one, and you, you you picked one if you if you go to youtube and do uh Sh tybee shipwake 
in that video, that's me. <laughs> Almost getting blown away by it. And we've had increased number of, of injuries with family. You know, it literally will sweep them, sweep them back into the dunes. And if you've seen this, uh, the water will actually get up into the dunes. That's how dramatic it is. And it could pull people out into the shipping channel. It's, just, it's really dangerous. So while we have seen these, we really have no data around them. And the core doesn't do anything without the science behind it. So we commissioned the Corps, a 50-50 study. We put up 50%, they put up 50%. Funded by the state grant that you were managing for us. Stu okay. yeah, funded by the state grant uh, to do a four-month um, study of all shipwakes. They are deploying sensors, I expect, next week, well, week of the 5th. Floating sensors? They're actually putting, they're actually a combination of floating sensors, and then the Coast Guard have some uh, stations out in the Very channel. cool. Um, they will gather... Everything about that in all incidences. So every ship in and out, they know the ship, they know the ship's size, they know how fast the ship's going. They'll determine what tide, how high, wind velocity, speed of the water, and they take a video of the ship and the weight. Now they can't get to the beach. Okay. They will not get your video that showed the, the tsunami weight, but they can interpolate. They'll do that for four months. Given the traffic into Savannah, we should have 300, 400 data points. Hopefully, that data leads us to some preliminary conclusions about what might be causing this. At a minimum, you know, we say it's bigger ships. You know, we say it's high tide. Okay. Um, speed of the ship. Speed of the ship. This, this data is designed to actually answer some of those questions affirmatively. Okay. Uh, and there's one other item that you've been working on for us is a citywide drainage plan. It was part of a grant we received. Yes. Um, tell me a little bit about that. So we applied for a, uh, a pre-mitigation grant. FEMA now has their pre-mitigation hazard mitigation grants. Uh, we applied for um, uh, money to do a island-wide, citywide master stormwater management plan. We don't have one. It's never been done before. It has not been done. We have... Um, we have built things, we have put pipes in the ground, we have repaired things, we have moved things, but there is no systematic, we know where everything is. The reason we applied for this and, and got it was, we all know that the 14th Street parking lot floods at the least little rain, okay? And in building the dunes there, we, we, saw, we just saw the way that's been constructed. We thought, oh, you need to fix the 14th Street parking lot. Well, where's the water gonna go if you do that? We don't know. So we're going to work with Thomas and Hutton. Uh, the launch is... Um, Monday, I believe. Monday afternoon. Yeah. Uh, it'll be about a one-year project. Uh, FEMA gave us $190,000 to do that project. So the, the, the NIFWIF award was $125,000. The FEMA award was $190,000. We've gotten a, a grant of uh, $46,000 from the DNR to do the dune vegetation mm -hmm. uh, a project. And we have, as you said, we have pretty much either spent or committed the $5 million at the D.C. Great, and there was a deadline for that. We've got the extension of the deadline. There, COVID threw everything in there is a out, of, out of whack, but they've given us the extension because of that. So all in all, and one of the things that I, I tout about having you as the project manager on this, you've also brought in about a half a million dollars in additional grant money on top of that $5 million. Right. So we've leveraged the money that we got from the state to get another half a million to get things done, like the drainage plan, which we've never had, that'll drive our capital projects 
over the next decade. Yes, it will. Um, so, and also this whole project is um, just to wrap up, starting to get, has gotten national recognition. I know NOAA has been out here to take a look at it and the DNR has used us as a project uh, a sample uh, for, for their NOAA funding. We had a bunch of NASA scientists out here, the sea level rise scientists yep. who came out because Tybee's really on the cutting edge of uh, coastal resilience. Right. Yes, we are. Yes, right. we are. Uh, and we also had the National Academy of, Sci of Sciences uh, mm -hmm. name us as a model for flood mitigation because of the work we're doing. So right. you're right. A lot of national recognition for our for our uh, coastal resiliency work. And I, I can't thank you enough for helping me make that happen. Well, but uh, you. you know, you've been doing the heavy lifting on this. We meet basically two, three times a week just yes, to talk we about yes, these things. Because there was a lot going on, and we got a lot more. So it's going to be an interesting year here on Tybee. Looking forward to it. Ellen, thank you so much for being here and taking the time. And uh, we'll see you, everyone else, uh, next time on Tybee Time. Have a good one. Come and